Uh, welcome, BRSU, and the world to the Innovator Podcast. This is episode six with Bryn Kibbe, uh, where we talk about innovation and education through interviews and reviews. Uh, I'm your host, Bjorn Barrent. We have my co-host, Skylar LaBombard. And we're here with Bryn. Hello. So Bryn, tell me a little bit about yourself. Hi, so I currently teach third and fourth grade combined classroom at Floodbrook School in Londonderry, Vermont. This is our first year doing a combined classroom. So previously I taught fourth grade ELA uh, for seven years and I'm just really excited to be on the podcast today. So thanks for having me. Um, really excited to talk about the PBLs, proficiency-based learning and uh, project-based learning and all the things that I've discovered recently that I'm so passionate about. It's fun because I don't get to go around to the schools very, very often. And when I do, I have to find those teachers that I've had pre-built relationships with. And you invited me to the class one time to work on a project. And so now every time I visit Floodbrook, I just knock on your door and show up. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> you're always they... welcome. And the kids know you and they call you over and ask you, ask their tech questions. Can you help me with this? <laughs> well, I love it. I mean, it's, it's fun to have that relationship with the kids, especially as an outsider, because I get to come in and just immediately jump in and kind of raise their hand, go talk to them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I remember the first time I walked into the classroom and you have one student who's immediately went up to me, didn't even know me. It's like, you got to subscribe to my channel. <laughs> he knew you would be interested in that. <laughs> and then once I showed interest in that, then I had uh, several of the other students come. Can you subscribe to my brothers? <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, I love the enthusiasm going into your class because that's something I do see. They're always in the projects that they're working on. They're very excited. So uh, thank you for letting me crash your room quite often. Of course. Yeah, I think Floodbrook in general is a great place to be. Um, I actually had the luxury of spending a couple of days up there last week. Unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to see everybody because I know uh, there was really nobody in the halls and there's limited transitions and stuff, but I was able to um, even seeing your office staff, right? They're pretty fantastic folks. Mm -hmm. And I did see a few teachers, but um, as most people, my schedule is is full of video meetings that I'm now trying to transition to in-person meetings. So anything that was previously scheduled, there's like no transition time because it used to be a click and now it's like driving from one school to another. But Floodbrook is always uh, a great place to be. So before we go like too deep into the tech stuff, which we've kind of already started, I actually want to learn a little bit more about you. So is Floodbrook your first teaching position? Um, yeah, my first like my first real, real teaching job. I had a couple temporary um like teachers would take an extended leave and I would substitute for them. So like at uh, Shrewsbury Mountain School, I was there for a couple months. I was technically subbing for the principal, but somebody else on the staff would would do the principal duties and I would take over his class. It was, it's such a small school. They only had like 60 kids um, K through six or like pre-K through six even. I don't remember, but that is such an interesting school too. They're like tucked away in the mountains. Nice, cool, yeah. 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 I love Shrewsbury. That's where I graduated from. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. So where are you from originally? Um, I'm from Clarendon, Vermont. So sure. I went to Clarendon Elementary School and then Mill River and then I went to Castleton. Nice. So awesome. I have a lot of a lot of connections there. Well, it's a small world because we found out that uh, Brynn went to school with my brother. Mm -hmm. So they randomly did, uh... found that out. <laughs> and yeah. we were friends. We had a lot of close friends 
on the same snowboard team at Mill River. Mm -hmm. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So I guess um, ultimately, like uh, one of the things that I don't, I don't think we've been doing a, a good enough job of doing on the podcast is really getting um, kind of people's origin stories as to how you got into education. Uh, I know mine, and I, I'm assuming that people have theirs, unless it's just kind of like, well, there's nothing else better to do in Clarendon that I decided. To, and, and being, you know, I think I think super highly of the teacher preparatory program at Castleton. I have a really good relationship with Rick Reardon as well, um, who is the chair there. But ultimately, what what led you to become involved in education? Well, like many teachers, my mom is a teacher. And so I was exposed to the classroom since I was little. Every day that I didn't have school, I would just go to school with her. And um, I always said I would not be a teacher just to like yep. <laughs> annoy people, I guess. <laughs> but then the only job I ever wanted to have was with kids. And um, so I only babysat and then I was like a camp counselor and I, everybody, I did not want any other job except a job that I knew would further my career. And so I did realize I wanted to be a teacher and I only would accept jobs with kids involved. Awesome. Um, I was pretty one track minded on that. Um, I did the Rotary Exchange program when I was uh, 17. So I did high school in three years. And then I went to France for a year as an exchange student. And so I lived with four different families. And one of those families had four kids. And so that really just made me realize that, yeah, I definitely want to be around kids all the time as much as I can, because they're so fun. And it was really just about like, having fun with kids not and and learning teaching and learning a lot in France oh my gosh I learned learned so much got to teach everybody all about what it's like to be an American <laughs> and um, so then I, I knew I wanted to go to Castleton and I knew I wanted to study edu study education um, but then it, this kind of leads into my my passion as a teacher I always knew I wanted to be a teacher but I was not as excited about it as I thought I would be once I got into the role and I knew I didn't want to get my master's degree right off the bat because some people do it right after their bachelor's, but I wasn't ready for that. And I didn't know if I wanted to keep being a teacher, even though I had this great job at this wonderful school with the best coworkers and the best kids. I didn't know if I wanted to keep doing that. I just wasn't inspired enough. Mm -hmm. And it took about five years for me to really realize that, okay, yes, I do like this, finding, um, finding the things in teaching that I really enjoy and I actually want to read like nonfiction teacher books. I didn't want to, I didn't want to read any until very recently. And uh, even professional development, I didn't take a single thing of professional development that my previous principal Neil didn't make me do until very recently when I found out, oh, I really want to study this. And now I'm just crazy about the things that I found. And um, looking back on my high school career, it's really, relevant because at, at Mill River when I was there, we could choose um, like three levels of courses. You could take like regular or college prep, CP is what we called it, or honors. And usually kids would only take the regular ones or only take all of the college prep courses or only take the honors courses. So like low, medium, high. Um, but for me, I wanted to pick and choose. I loved English classes and writing and reading and language. So I wanted to take all the honors of those and then take all, like the regular math class because I didn't really like math or science. So I took the regulars of those and the honors of those. And that wasn't really done then. So now looking back, I'm like, oh, no wonder I like proficiency-based learning, flexible pathways, 
um, right. project-based right. learning, inclusivity, you know, um, all that stuff, because it's what I would have loved as a student right. in high school. So it's really, I've just kind of discovered what I wish I had. Yeah, yeah, I can totally commiserate on that. Um, I was in a professional conversation within, I'll say within the last year, because my point of reference for time lately is totally <laughs> crazy. Um, and I was talking about like teacher development uh, and how te teachers come to the profession in general. And the colleague that I was speaking to, who actually isn't one of our employees, it's kind of in a different organization, um, but mentioned like, well, she issued this broad statement that um, teachers get into teaching because it's what worked for them, kind of the industrialized model of, mm. I have rules and I can follow them. Um, and I pushed back a little bit on that and I kind of took it personally. Um, I know for me, the reason I got into education and became a teacher, um, there was a little bit of, of I guess family influence as well, but uh, neither of my parents were teachers, but my older brother um, is a PE teacher and I would substitute and, and all that stuff just kind of um, on college breaks and stuff like that. So, but I pushed back and I said, actually the reason I got into teaching is because I didn't enjoy the experience at all. Um, I was totally disengaged. Um, do I feel like adults knew me? Yeah. Um, do I feel like, that the situation that those teachers were put in allowed them to really meet the individual needs of every kid in my class. I, I don't think so. Um, so part of the reason I got into teaching in general was to provide that, like to get to know kids and understand them and give them opportunities that are personalized to them. Um, and then ultimately becoming a principal, I was exactly that. And Sunderland was a perfect platform for it. The folks there are excellent. It's a small school, a uh, great community. Uh, and then ultimately uh, the vacancy in this position I was like, let's let's talk about influence. And that being said, it's uh, it's kind of like steering a battleship, like change uh, in an organization as large as ours. It's as spread out as ours. So, um, but yeah, I, t I totally hear you. Like this kind of thinking back on your own lived experience and thinking that things didn't always have to be that way. It's yeah, awesome I, I'm going to follow suit with that one too. Give my very quick origin story too, because I had a similar concept. I mean, I went to Midwaver. I enjoyed it a lot. But there was a lot of things I did outside of the classroom, um, especially, especially around computers, because I don't know. I guess I am going to date myself just a little bit if, if the uh, gray in the beard doesn't. Um, there was essentially one or two computers in the building. <laughs> I think there was one dial-up computer that was connected to the internet in Mill River when I was there. Um, and I remember I brought in the first computer to do stage 40 and ran audio off of that. Uh, and there was a lot of stuff around that that I wasn't getting credit for as per my classroom stuff, but I turned into my career. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so I had the same thing. It's like, I didn't think school was really working for me mm -hmm. <laughs> in the best way it could. And then I got a job working in the school system, um, part of the technology department. I'm like, this is cool. <laughs> And then I really fell in love with it. And then I went like you same Bryn. It took me a few years before I realized I wanted to get my master's in education. And that's kind of led me to where I am now. So yeah, I would definitely argue with your friend there, Skylar, that I think there's a lot of people who are in education because they are truly want to improve upon what they did, what they had. Mm -hmm. So 
Yeah, I think the origin story of teachers is is really important because I think there are two camps. Either you loved school and you want to stay because you liked it so much or you didn't like it and now you want to make it better, hopefully, for those kids you influence. Yeah, cool. and, and, and I mean, at the same time, like globally, I was kind of like disengaged and you could totally ask my parents and they would agree. Even in college, I was kind of like, this doesn't necessarily meet the needs of what I want to do. Um, at the same time, at you know, 17 years old, I don't necessarily knew that I knew what I wanted to do. Um, but ultimately, uh, you know, I remember the inspiring teachers that I did have because uh, because they stood out in a system that was kind of industrialized and it's impersonal. Uh, I distinctly remember the folks that, um, you know, provided me with those kind of life shaping experiences. And unfortunately, like they got out. Um, they didn't last long because the system as it was set up didn't really uh, recognize or promote them in a way that. Uh, honored their ability. So cool. But when it comes to hey. technology, I can tell you that, uh, and my kind of relation to teachers, my dad, uh, I went to Cambridge Central School, which is like not far from uh, Manchester, Arlington. It's like right over the border, right in New York. And my dad became the um, like a tech person there when it was like a new kind of thing. They just got a computer lab, right? I was in eighth grade and my dad starting work there. And he's uh, he's retiring this year after 24 years or something like that. Um, but I was very similar to BJ. I was in like the computer club, you know? Um, and I remember building my first computer at like 12 years old. Uh, and even though my dad, it was, it was weird because uh, my dad worked at the school. So whenever I was there, I would see him. And then my mom, um, still to this day is a hairstylist and she has her business attached to the house that I grew up in. So I was always, I always had a parent around. Um, and now uh, everybody involved in my life, except for my mom is still in education. So my brother's still a PE teacher. My sister actually works public relations for, um, for BOCES in New York. So it's, it's hard. And my sister-in-law is a teacher as well. My brother-in-law is a college professor. <laughs> So there, it's education. And I think most of them, it is like, I want to have a better, I want to provide kids with a better experience than I had. So, and BJ knows that involves me doing a ton of professional reading. So anytime you want to connect yeah. on, on books, I have loads and loads of suggestions. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I'm not the reader. <laughs> I, I, I kind of get made fun about like, I, yeah, I get made fun of because I read all the time. But I am awesome. the tech guy. So I'm yeah. going to transition into some other things because yeah. um, I want to talk about Bryn more. <laughs> but uh, tech in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I walked into your classroom. I think this you the last time we were there. And you walk in and all of a sudden there's a tripod with a camera and other things that the kids are doing. Like I said, you have students who are doing YouTube videos. Um, I... I'm looking here. What else do you got going on in your classroom? Because there's a lot of cool things going there. Well, I'm, you know, the a blessing that came out of the pandemic is that all my kids have computers that they can bring home. And the growing pains were very, very painful in the beginning of the year. Like click here, click there, like explaining what a cursor is. That stuff was was painful, but we went through it. And now there are so many possibilities and opportunities for us to just hit the ground running with all sorts of tech. And I'm so proud of my students for 
learning so quickly and being so patient with that and coming as far as they have come this year. It's amazing. Um, so now we're able to do so much fun stuff. And um, what Bjorn is talking about when he walked into the room was we were getting ready to interview Jackie Wilson, who's our temporary principal, former superintendent um, on, a, on a Google Meet. And it was inspired by um, the class that Bjorn and I ha are taking, have just, just finished at Castleton um, with Gabrielle Umbra. Um, about PLPs, and this was about documenting learning and how to have the entire class um, collaborate on a project, but everybody has a different job with that project. So before in my thinking, I was thinking like, if, we, if you do a project, everybody is like doing the same thing, and then their product is gonna look pretty similar at the end, and you're gonna have like 30 projects that at the end. But with this, it's different. Everybody has a different job that they're doing. So we had like, people were taking notes, like traditional type typing notes on a Google Doc. People were taking sketch notes, which is like drawing your notes out as like comics kind of. And then we had photographers. So they a kid brought in her phone and another kid brought in her, her separate camera and they were walking around taking pictures of us doing the interview. We had hosts who were in charge of saying the questions. We had, um, uh, questioners, so they would come up with the questions in real time. Uh, we had somebody live tweeting. That is pretty funny how Twitter has come into my classroom. We're having so much fun with that. And so that was just a big shift in my mind that not everybody has to do the same thing at once. Everybody can do something different and still feel part of the team. And still it can play on their strengths as people or students. Um, so that was super fun, just trying to like get the phones in the kids' hands. I know my kids all don't have phones, but if they can use a phone with my permission in a safe way at school, I think that's just a good a door to open at such a young age. I mean, third and fourth graders, you might be surprised, but some of them have phones <laughs> and um, they're just dying to use them and show them off, I guess. Um, but we, we've found a way to like dip our toe in because a lot of the conversations that we had with our class about PLPs and about, um, oh, what's that called? The digital literacies. Mm -hmm. So we want kids to, to make a product and then share it with the world. And then like even get an interaction from someone across the globe who has an expertise um, in what they're talking about. So don't just limit it to the class. If you have a project, don't just share it with the kids, share it as far out as you can and get feedback. That like levels it up completely. Um, so yeah, we're working on documenting the process of how the things are going, using technology wherever we can, cameras, Twitter. Um, other things that I've, I listed that we, we use all the time is um, Padlet, just to post your material publicly or like safely, it's not really public, but you can send the link to the people you want to have it. Um, and Flipgrid, we love Flipgrid mm -hmm. to uh, video yourself instead of having to type everything all the time. Uh, and the kids love that. They can get all creative with the features. <laughs> um, but yeah, just letting, dip, dipping your toe into it safely. Cause I don't want kids on Twitter, you know, it can get inappropriate. I don't want them just on it as a free-for-all, but if they're on it using a specific hashtag for a specific thing related to school and I can kind of monitor it, then that makes me feel feel better. Yeah, that was a fun day because I got to be the guinea pig. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it was just random. And because I couldn't have head, 
because I actually needed to be out of the room. So I went to the library. So while the interview was going on, what was it like in the classroom? Well, the guinea pig, the test was a little crazy because we were all nervous. <laughs> <laughs> and we're working through these problems out loud. So I have a couple kids who are a little louder than the others and just they think out loud and it's great. And they, they're they solving the problems out loud. Well, he should do this and he should do that. And it, it was just great, but it was the chaos that we needed before the actual Jackie Wilson interview because when that came, oh man, they were on it. They were silent when they needed to be silent. They were all focused doing their jobs and I did nothing. I, I set up the meeting and then I said, okay, I'm gonna let you guys go and I've muted and I didn't, I didn't say a word the rest of the interview. It was magic. <laughs> And then we got oh. to we got to put it into a newsletter and send it out to the community. Cool. Can you link send me that email so mm -hmm. I will link it somewhere related to this podcast so they can see what the final product was? Maybe not my yes. interview, but definitely Jackie's. <laughs> yeah, no, that's okay. Um, <laughs> yes, I will. Uh, I have to give a shout out to my my inspiration is Karsten Olson is a student in my class and he will be so happy that I'm saying his name. Um, but he really inspired it because he wanted to write a newsletter and then it just kind of spiraled from there. And so this is part of Karsten's newsletter that he organized. And um, so the article part is in the Roaring Tiger, our Floodbrook newsletter, but um, the actual newsletter, I'll definitely send you a link. There's a video, there's an article, there's a blog post reflecting on how it went. And there's like a word search and a crossword and a comic and it's pretty funny. They went all out. Oh. Like I said, one of my favorite classes to come visit. <laughs> I was just, um, that, that does sound fantastic. I'm, I'm eager to, to uh, take a look at the link. I was just thinking of as you're going over like all the different tools you use in, in the classroom, how this year, like so many people have been exposed to so many different resources. And one of the like, basic things that I kind of am infatuated with are the names of all of these things. Cause they're so, they're so wild and, and like off the wall. Uh, and I just wonder like the creativity of these people who develop these companies and they're like, we're going to call it like Kahoot, right? Like that's <laughs> one that people use or, or like Nearpod, like, yeah, I don't know. I just get lost in the language of it all, but. I saw a joke of, um, it was two parents trying to inform each other of what their kid has to do on that remote learning day. Well, he has a boom meeting at 10 and then he has to get on squizzle for his reading. And then he has, to... <laughs> it's a totally different language. Yeah, it's wild. Oh, but it's a lot of fun. Definitely. Um, this year has been crazy. It really has been. And there has been a lot of growth. What are you hoping to bring forth? Um, through next year. Sorry, I'm Skylar. I'm taking your, <laughs> I'm taking the, your transition that you mentioned at the beginning of this. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> um, so another class I, well, I'll shout out Gabrielle Lumbra, who we, we just took the POP class with. I've taken every class she's offered at Castleton because she teaches in the way that I want to teach and the way that I love to learn. So there's no research paper at the end, but it's more work than I've ever done still so there's no letter grades but there's a learning scale and you can like interact with the learning scale as you go um she just she really practices what she preaches and so i took a project-based learning class with her and of course got on board with that love project-based learning now to actually try it has been difficult 
it's not it's not easy when like you you see this vision of a perfect world where project-based learning can work but then like like Skylar was saying the systems kind of drag you down and so I'm this year I really I tried out some projects and I've learned so much so I definitely want to do more projects but as I learned that like I said it's not just about everybody does a project and then has a product at the same time that's kind of the same um, I want to do more like cooperative class projects and I'm learning a lot that a project should have voice and choice for the kids as much as you can handle but also structure so it's kind of like on a spectrum spectrum of it's not a free-for-all um, but it's not completely like just about compliance you know do what the teacher says it's somewhere in the middle and what I think that I could have done better this year was put a little bit more structure in place especially the kids that I know are going to need more structure they didn't they didn't automatically flourish just because it's a project. Like that's not just the end all be all magic pill. Just because you're doing a project doesn't mean everybody's gonna succeed. It actually will be hard still. Mm -hmm. And every project has the dip. So <laughs> I don't know if you know Mojo Dojo, <laughs> Class Dojo has this like little cartoon series where he talks about when you're doing a project, you're so excited and you're um, enthusiastic and you start and then it gets hard and you're like, wait, this isn't as easy as I thought it was going to be. I have to solve all of these problems. What, why did I do this? <laughs> and then you start solving the problems and you realize, oh, I can, I can do this. I am making progress. And then you look back on your journey and you're like, wow, I came a long way. Um, so I would definitely put more structures in place, especially for those kids who I know aren't going to be, um, you know, who have like executive functioning. Um, right. struggles or or reading struggles or something like I I can get I can get to know my kids like I do every year as as best as I can before I jump into this and then make sure that they have what they need instead of just thinking that oh a project is going to be great for everybody right. um, I think project-based learning in general requires um, kind of people that are interested in challenging the status quo, right? And and you, I think you hit the nail right on the head. Um, the, the kind of implementation dip is something we see whenever we talk about like organizational change as well. At first, everybody's really excited and then it's like, it hits you like a ton of bricks. There's actually work involved in this. This is like, now it's time to implement, right? Um, and that's inherently challenging. But I think you hit the nail right on the head, like the the difference between scaffolding and, and um, I don't wanna say, I guess, constraining, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, it's mm -hmm. inherently messy. I think about uh, Bill Rich throws around a quote from Chris Jernstead, and it's the it's the one who does the work does the learning. Um, and in an industrialized education model, you know, teachers do a lot of the work mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. for kids, right? We we bring kids to the goal line and have them um, like they're in the goalie box by the time we pass them the ball. You know, if we want to use like a <laughs> soccer analogy, or, mm -hmm. or I guess you could use it for hockey as well. But like they're already at the goal. Um, and they, we just kind of help them push it over because the, the amount of structure that we have in place for them, um, we want them to be successful, right? So I know personally, I, I reflect on my teaching career. And I think about the times where there was a learning opportunity for a kid. If only I had asked a leading question and, and had that light bulb turn on for them. Instead, I you know, turned off their light bulb and closed the door and we moved on to something else. Um, so it's challenging. And I think project-based learning gives you plenty of opportunities uh, and I always think about uh, flow, and I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of flow, but 
when you're doing something really well. Um, and I, I have tons of experiences as a teacher where I'm like, this is going great. Like I have engagement, people, kids are ready to go. And then I look at the exit ticket at the end of the day and they missed it completely. So the, <laughs> the difference between teaching and learning is another, is another thing that comes into play with project-based learning as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I um, talking about management also, like the teacher doing so much of the work. I've learned that lesson too. That I had a, I had everybody doing a separate project, and then it was due on a certain day, and then I have the whole weekend where I have to go and review all of the projects on the same day in in such a short amount of time. And I have like sixty four students to my under my responsibility this year, and it was just a lot. So that was another reason I learned. Not everybody has to hand in a project at the same time about the same thing on the same schedule. I'm still learning about that. And um, I'm learning about, you know, flexible deadlines and things like that. And it's just hard to, that's another, another thing I think I'll learn next year is like, when does, when is it over? When is it done? When to move on? When to like organically, naturally move on and make sure that nobody gets left behind. And um, yeah, I'm just learning, learning how to interact with all of the platforms and things like that. Like I had, I wanted kids to have a blog post ready to go, but then it was on my shoulders to post all of the blog posts and it was just a lot of clicking. (laughs) And so I'm learning all about how to, how to make the project public because that's another big part of project-based learning is that it, like I said, it's not, you shouldn't just share it with your classmates. You should have what they call an authentic audience for your, your project. It's not just, not just for the teacher's eyes, it's for the whole world's eyes or, or a specific audience that relates to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Can't think of an example off the top of my head. <laughs> Remi- Bryn, remind me, um, I want to talk to you about kid blog. Okay. It <laughs> might Thank solve you. some of the, uh, student posting issues that we have there. I'm just amazed that KidBlog is still around. I love it. <laughs> I haven't. I mean, I used it when I. I remember I was teaching. Maybe you can use it with second graders, but I definitely use it with fifth graders, like cool. ten years ago. I've um, tried EduBlogs, but they um, they flagged me because we did the battles of the Revolutionary War, and I think something about guns and killing was like a no-no. <laughs> um, it, it got up yeah. and running again, but we had to wait for the admin to like approve it. <laughs> So many cool tools. Well, Bryn, I know, is there any last things that you want to bring up um, or talk about? I, I know we're yeah. kind of trying to finish up, so. I have one one thing that we didn't really uh, touch on this year, but I just, going through some stuff, we recently moved and I was unpacking and I found an old cell phone of mine and I was like, Hey, I think this thing still works. And so I emailed Bjorn as soon as I found it, I was like, I want to use this phone in in my classroom. What do I do? And so he told me like the next steps to like do a factory reset. And we made all these accounts, like we made a new Google account for it. And my, my friend Karsten helped me so much on that first day. He like got it all set up. And so now we have this cell phone in our classroom and I pick a name out of a hat every morning and that person is responsible for the phone that day. And um, so that nobody else gets to touch it and we don't share germs or anything. And so they're responsible for taking pictures and videos all day long with whatever they want to take pictures and videos of. And then they're, they're supposed to tweet and they, they have to tweet 
at least once, and they have to um, use hashtags, and we're learning about hashtags. It's pretty funny because they did not know what a hashtag was at first, and to see the things that they were trying to hashtag, I was like, no, there's not really a community out there for that. Um, but we usually hashtag Floodbrook, and we hashtag Kibby's Cool Class because that's our nickname <laughs> this year. That's everything. Everything we do is under Kibby's Cool Class, and um, it's just been so fun. They're so excited to have a phone, and they really don't do that much on it, honestly. Like they take pictures, videos, and they tweet. And, or they like can access a Google doc or something. Like it's, it does, it's not as scary as I thought it would be. They, right. you know, we, we came up with the rules and they respect the rules. And, um, you know, at recess we have to be careful cause they drop it. <laughs> but, but honestly, if I hadn't found it, it just would have sat in a box. So it's better better to be dropped at recess than sitting in a box unused. Okay. Uh, so that was that's a fun, safe way to use Twitter. It's a good segue for, um, I know that you've done some work, uh, I think it was last year when you guys did podcasting, right? When you had Bjorn come and use the milk crate stuff. Well, um, Bjorn did that with um, my colleague. So we had a couple of the same kids, but I did another podcast this year about storytelling. Yeah, but I th when we think about things laying unused in boxes, uh, I know that the milk crates, um, I, I had a couple of robots when we were shut down for, and I brought them home and worked with my first grader <laughs> on programming a robot, right? Because um, I knew they were just going to be unused. So I, I think that it's important for people to know. Uh, there's Bjorn's website, which I'm sure he can link uh, in the Innovator on Friday um, to the milk crate. And we're looking at um, adding additional toys for kids and yeah. teachers. And Bjorn um, is willing to come and spend time, teach your class, support you in teaching your class in a lot of different um tools. And I know he's teaching a couple of Castleton courses this summer too. So we'll just throw a shameless plug in there. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to take all that plug and kind of wrap this thing up. Um, yeah. I'm teaching two courses this summer. One is on the Edison robots, which is part of the milk crates. And that reminds me, I need to email the teacher who has them at Courier and let them know that one of the teachers at Floodbrook would love it for a week. So that's starting to get some traction. Um, and those are the little robots that we have. I'd love to get even more, um, but there is lesson plans from as early as K and all the way up through high school can use them for some advanced functionality. And it's cool that they have all the lessons in there. And that course, what I'll do for that one is I bring teachers through the initial setup and the initial set of courses they would give a student over the course, you know, over several units. So they at least have done it once and that way they can get it to the class. Plus you get two Edison robots to kind of keep in your classroom. Uh, the other one is uh, flipping tools, which is taking a lot of the, <laughs> yeah, I know, <laughs> which is taking a lot of, because I think this year we tried a very flipped classroom model approach to learning, which we didn't even get to talk about because <laughs> um, you had to live through it. And I remember going into your classroom, I think it was your classroom or it was Joanna's, and watched you hit play on your video that you created for the week, let nice. the students see it. <laughs> and then you broke into the lesson and then you broke apart. So. I observed exactly what we were hoping for nice. and that the students had the same workflow, whether they were at home 
and went into the classroom. Um, and I'm hoping that worked out. I guess we might have to have a second podcast with you. Yeah, I think so. I mean, she's not going to go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, true. We also didn't talk about my self-direction project, so put that on the list for next time. <laughs> I know. I Whoops. <laughs> That's okay. We're, we're running up on time constraints. Mm -hmm. um, and so what I wanted to do is I created a course because we want to keep that momentum going. Um, so I created a course that was going to be taking all the create the video stuff that we did I'm gonna say very quickly. <laughs> and then I wanna go a little bit more in depth in how to use WeVideo, how to use um, Screencastify, um, Flipgrid, and all these other things, and learn to get to more of an intermediate advanced level on some of these tools. And also look at some of the theory, because now that we have the students back in, um, hopefully we'll have the students back next year. I really hope they are gonna be back next year. Looking how you can actually use flip learning in terms of reflection and feedback once you get them back into the classroom um and do a lot of the things like you're saying like you talked about Bryn where people are at all different places in your class and all different um roles that they'll have um being able to manage that is part of the flip learning process that I think is important okay um enough about those two things <laughs> so let's finish up because i think we have meetings at 12 going on so i want to thank you all for listening to the innovator innovator podcast and apparently i can't speak anymore uh you can follow the podcast and contribute by going to anchor.fm slash the innovator uh it is also on a youtube channel uh, my youtube channel probably the innovator and I encourage you to get the conversation going around the show by posting comments and using the hashtag BRSU Innovator within your social network. Again, thank you for listening and never stop learning. Anytime comes up, please, I need excuses to get to the schools. Mm -hmm. So let me know <laughs> if you need more guinea pigs. I'm happy to be. All right. He's, he's, my, he's notoriously my guinea pig. I'm like, here's what I want to do. Can you do it? <laughs> <laughs> yep.